Hello, and welcome to the Modern Romantic Podcast, where we celebrate romanticism through art, storytelling, nature, music, poetry, creating, and passionate people doing great things, and apparently co-hosts who like to change my name right before we start the show. Hello, I'm Seth Defying Lee and Love. I am Trey, and I'm joined by my forever uh, co-host, Emily. Hi, Emily. Hello. Hello. Uh, so tonight uh emily would you like to introduce our wonderful guest for tonight i would um tonight we have someone who is one of the more uh, personally accomplished people i know she is a mindset coach with a successful real estate business but really her twenty-seven thousand dogs and her cat named david is why she's here um i mean her journey and insight is why she's here <laughs> um regardless of what you of what area of your life you apply the principles and ideas she speaks of you will learn something tonight so, ladies and gentlemen, homeowners and renters, I present Heather Cook. Yeah! Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Um, Heather, one of the first things that I, I loved when, uh, when Emily and I were talking about your introduction were the amount of pets that got mentioned. And, and so, can you tell us about your zoo? Yes, I can. I'm always like, okay, where do I start? Um, so we're foster people. My husband and I started out, we, he, we got together and I had a Yorkie and he had a lab and we're like, this is so great. It's so nice and calm. And one of our clients reached out one day and said, no way, I'm missing one. So he said he wanted a Frenchie. He was like at night, like watching videos on his phone, showing me like, you know, 1130, night, like funny Frenchie videos. And, um, and I was like, oh, for his birthday, I'll just get him a Frenchie. Great idea, right? No. Um, so I did. And then a couple months later, it was like, wow, okay, this added like such a different dynamic to everything. Like three is so many more than two. A puppy is so different than two grown-up dogs. Um, anyway, so a couple months later, a client was like, hey, we're getting rid of our Great Dane. This beautiful Great Dane we have watched online since it was a puppy. Do you, My son has allergies all of a sudden. Do you know anybody who wants it? No conversation was even had with me and Brad. I was like, hey, Brad, we're getting a Great Dane. And so we did. Um and so now there's four. So we've got a four pound Yorkie, this lab, um, a fat little pig, Frenchie, and this 130 pound Great Dane. And I don't really remember at that point, it kind of becomes a blur of like who came and when they came and things like that. But we've got um, the Frenchies, it's the same parents from another litter, his very, very highly special needs brother um, that was returned back to the breeder. Don't put a sick baby in front of me and not expect me to take that to home. Um, and then we ended up during COVID, it was like, oh, what's a good idea? Let's get another great day because COVID, you know, so we did. Um, <laughs> and then last then we got another, and then during COVID, we actually got another dog. So we've got a Beyonce and a Jay-Z. All of our dogs have great names too. Um, Frank and Beans are the Frenchies, Beyonce and Jay-Z. We've got Moo and Rue are the Danes. Um, but anyway, so, so, at some point we ended up with like all those guys. And then for some reason, like six weeks ago, maybe, or two months ago, I reached out to Bruce Breeder, who also the Great Dane also breeds Frenchies. And I was like, if you ever have a special needs dog that needs a home, let me know. And sure as shit, she writes back and is like, as a matter of fact, I do like right now. And so we went to get the um, special needs dog, and she's like, before you go, let me introduce you to her best friend. 
they've been hanging out together since they were born. The other one's a little runt, half the size she's supposed to be. So she brings out this like most ridiculous alien Frenchie that's like this big. And she's like, say goodbye to your best friend. You know, and I'm like, oh, no, who am I to separate these poor babies? So I'm like, so how much is she? And so we came home with two. So now we've got 10 dogs total. And we've got a cat that's a girl named David. She showed up. Somebody broke a window during a reno um, to our office this summer. Our cat showed up inside. The our, our assistant put the cat out and the cat came back. So obviously I was meant to have a cat. And I had a David Bowie shirt on that the cat loved, obviously, because she purred when she saw it. So I named it David, not knowing if it was a boy or a girl. Next day, the vet's like, well, it's a girl. And I was like, she's gone through enough trauma. I'm not changing her name now. So <laughs> here we are. How wonderful. That's my animal story. <laughs> I, yeah. Okay, one, I need to meet all of these animals. And, and, and two, that is, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. We don't leave town much because literally nobody will watch our animals. <laughs> like, oh, we're out of town too. Like, you're a liar. Oh, I never thought of that. Yeah, that would be yeah. really hard. It's hard. <laughs> so, but it's fun. It's a lot of fun. How do you keep up with 10 dogs, two like semi or one dedicated special needs dog and a like a runt and then a cat named David? How do you keep up with that that dynamic? So, you know, dogs are pack animals and everybody asks us this. So, they're so they really almost like establish their own order and things like they've all got a friend and it's nobody that we picked you know what i mean like the danes they're fine with each other but the danes it's funny so we've got like this little brown dog that we got three hours before she was going to get put down named foxy brown last year um yeah and she's best friends with our brown dane it's like they could see that they were the brown dog so they were like oh we must be sisters and then our black and white dane is friends with our little black and white Shih Tzu Poodle makes, and again, I'm like, do you guys know you're the same colors? And that's what, is this like the Jets and the whatever from that, you know, like that <laughs> thing? So um, anyway, there, there's an order to it. I mean, it's a lot. I, we sweep up a lot. Like it's like a couple times a day, gave up on Roombas. Those look cute until you've got dogs that aren't totally potty trained and those are a bad idea, like very quickly. So... <laughs> Oh no. Yeah. So we don't do Roombas. Um, so yeah, there, but there is, there's an odd amount of order in the house. And I'll say, I have to give Brad like all the credit because he is, I'm not allowed to feed the dogs. Um, Cause he has it in like such like a, a militant way. He does everything with the dogs. This is who eats first. This sweets last. And when I go to give them their cheese, I have too much conversation apparently with them when I'm giving them their medicine and I get them wound up and he's like, no, you give them their cheese like this. So like, I'm not allowed to do cheese or food <laughs> so, or laundry, you know, like I haven't done laundry since me and Brad met. So ah. it, it's all right. He's a good guy. So just asking about Brad for a second, um, how does does he cook and what is his cooking like brad does laundry so brad does laundry um he... <laughs> <laughs> i mean honestly if you've got a man who literally 
washes, dries, and folds your clothes and will put them away from you. Does he need to do anything else? You know what I mean? Um, we will cook together sometimes. Mm -hmm. So, And he orders DoorDash like a pro. So that's handy. It's handy. It's good. I already love the way that you answer questions. I, <laughs> I love this. So tell us about what a mindset coach is. So I think the easiest way for me to explain it is kind of how I experienced it and what made me kind of decide this was the way I was going to do things is um, about, gosh, Emily was at our wedding. She was one of the four people that were there. So she would, uh, six years ago or so, about six months before that, um, I had gone through like some weird stuff, you know, and life had never gone my direction. And my attitude to that point about life is that life is happening to me. You know, like I was a victim of whatever circumstances in the world happened and what I hoped luck would happen. You know, I hoped that I would get lucky and good things would happen because of some magic that just came about. And um, you put up with enough junk in life and enough things happen to you that you get to a point that you've had enough. And and for me, that was me saying I, I'm done. And, and it's like unknowingly doing what I did. But it was like, this is what's going to go down now. Like, this is what my life's going to look like. This is what I'm going to accept and not accept from people. It, and this is who I am. And it was, just, and you know, I don't think like one day you just have this huge, you know, everything changes. But it, it was like a um, really an epiphany for me that, that like, this is interesting. I actually things started happening the way I said they were going to happen. Um, and it Part of it I felt like because I was putting it into the universe and part of it was because I was setting boundaries for myself and part of it was because I was telling myself certain things and not certain things. And that's what mindset is, is it is what you believe, whether it's positive or negative or anything that happens. It's all the power of you is within, you know, the constraints of your head, basically. Um, so so I realized the power of that and just started telling stories about it and found that there's actually a need for people to understand what this is because there's so much power that they have. They just don't even know how to harness. For someone who doesn't know, it does sound like something that's unattainable and that's just something people say. Yeah. And it feels unattainable until you do it. I think, you know, you have to, it's almost like you have to, to feel the power of it happening. But I do think if you're around somebody who truly believes in it, you'll get there so much quicker, you know? Is that like, you were talking about recently on one of your videos about sitting with warriors. Yeah, I was like, sit with warriors and the conversation changes. And it, so last December, Brad and I were invited to a meeting with the owners of our company and 10 other agents. We had no idea. None of us knew what we were going there for. You know, is this some ritual? Like, are we getting a prize? Like nobody knew. And when we got there, Brad and I do a lot of business in Charlotte. We're in the top 1% and we're used to kind of being at the top of the pool. And we walked in this room and our numbers, like it was like being a kindergartner with a bunch of master's degree people. Like, you know, it was just, it was a different place. And so mindset, we had the chance right then to make a choice. Are we going to like feel bad about ourselves or are we going to look at this as like a growth opportunity in like a million percent? We were like, wow, all we can do from here is learn. 
So what that taught us is that the best place to be is the dumbest person in the room. And that's where we try to place ourselves now is surround ourselves with people who are truly only like sincerely better than us that know more that we can learn from that they like breathe. And you're like, wow, I didn't know that, you know? So that was, that was such an epiphany for us. When did it happen that you became a mindset coach then? So officially where I've been, you know, become a, a paid mindset coach, it's just been in the past few months. Um, our company came to us and said, hey, we're starting this coaching program and we've got 8,000 agents and we're choosing five of them basically to to be in this coaching platform. And we really like what you're doing. We like your presence and we like how you think. Would you want to be part of this with us? And I did. And it was funny how quickly, you know, people were raising their hand to jump in on it and, and how excited they are to be part of this. And so it was a little bit of um, like imposter syndrome at first. Like, why would anybody pay to hear what I think about this or why would they want to do that? Um, but seeing these guys thrive already, it's like, wow, there really is something to this. For sure. One thing that one thing that I, I thought of while you were talking about that, there was an experience. Um, I speak to a lot of like the music background and theater. For a lot of that, we spend so much time training and learning to critique other people. So when you ask us like what we think of a singer, we're going to tell you all like the negatives about that. And I happened to be at a program over the summer where we sat down for one afternoon and the the director of the program looked at all of us and like, okay, so we're, we're going to go around the table and we're going to critique everybody, but you're going to critique them positively. You can only say positive things about yourself and you can only say positive things about the person that you're critiquing. Um, because she's like, I recognize that bad habit and we need to put more positivity into the work that we do. And the more that people started to to say like, oh, you know, I really like this, or, you know, I really like this. We went for about two and a half hours, still wow. going around the room of positive things to say about it. And it was such a completely cathartic experience. How did you leave there feeling at the end of it? How was the rest of your day? Like, like Atlas shrugged and it was like the world just went boop and Atlas said, I'm taking a 10 minute break. I feel great. Awesome. Especially if you're used to walking into criticism that is negative. I could see how that would really be a game changer when you're used to walking into that. So like mentally, you're kind of preparing yourself to be to tear apart and to be torn apart. To well, I think away. it's like it puts you in like a ravenous mind mode. You know what I mean? If you're walking in there and you're like, okay, even if you're trying to think of a nice way to say like that sucked, you know what I mean? But it's like, instead of saying what your thoughts are on that, instead of saying that coming out of and saying, well, maybe next time we could try it this way, you know, and saying it just, it's saying the same thing. You're getting it across, you know, but it shifts your focus. I love that. I love that so much. So when, so eh, how do I ask this? So how, are there any days that you are maybe like hesitant to get out of bed? You wake up in a bad mood and how do you flip that and maybe like overcome that obstacle? 
Mine isn't that I wake up in a bad mood and I usually, um, I live at like a 10, like my energy level is like the only time I'm not like up, up, up and go, go, go is when I'm like literally like asleep. And even then I'm probably at like a four and a half. Um, so, but what I do struggle with, uh, just in a transparent conversation, mine's anxiety. So I'll wake up and some days it's, it's not that I'm like, oh, I'm in a grumpy mood. But it's anxiety to me is like wearing a heavy coat or something. And it's like you're carrying this thing, but like an invisible heavy coat because nobody can see it but you. You know what I mean? And so th that is where my struggle is. And it's almost like I have to dissect it into little pieces. You know, I, I tell the team that when I coach them about how do you eat a whale one bite at a time? It's like nobody could expect you to eat a whale all in one sitting, you know. And so it's it's the same mindset for me with this is it's like, OK, where can I break this down to and what's the closest to my reach from here? You know, what's what's the easiest one? It's almost like when you make a list and you feel accomplished when you're checking just one thing at a time off. Right. So my grumpy mood isn't being grumpy, even though it may be come across. It may come across that way to other people. <laughs> Maybe I am grumpy. Um but it, it's more anxious than anything about nothing, you know, nothing that usually matters. It's just, I wake up that way. I'd raise your hand. If you've ever woken up anxious about something. Right. <laughs> but you've conquered um, a lot of fear. Yeah. So, so one thing that as I've been growing that I recognize that I, think it's important for everybody to look at fear as is, is fear. I think when we're little, we're taught that like fear and failure, right? Like that they're, they're negatives and this is something you should avoid. And like what people don't realize is fear, just like failure gives you a chance to overcome something. And you should almost look at it as a positive and as a, I mean, sure, easier said than done, right? Like it's so easy to be like, oh, I'm embracing being terrified that we're on the edge of a mountain right now. It doesn't feel so easy when you're standing there. But but it is. It's like, how could you ever, like no Olympian woke up and was just like the best. You know, they found something they had either a natural interest in or they were naturally gifted sort of at, and they ran with it and they did that. But like they didn't do that without falling down and failing a bazillion times. And I bet you that they doing that stuff in front of a crowd was terrifying. I'm sure the fear at points for those people, it was crippling. But if they didn't push through it and say, you know, eyes on the prize, I've got to put my blinders on because this is what I want right now. They would have never gotten to where they wanted to be. Right. Do you find that like if you encounter something that you can identify as a fear? Because I think some anxiety is that too. Yeah, but I think it's like a trigger emotion for me. It's like a, a when I'm scared, it's like I think your like body feels different. You know, your your heart's racing quickly. And if you get me, so heights is like my legit, like if you have like a, a fear of fear, like it's heights. And when I say heights, I'm not talking like I need to be like on top of the Empire State Building. I'm talking I need to be on the second level of the Panther Stadium. And like different version of me comes out like you, there's no calming me down. There's no rational conversation. It's like a legit fear, you know. So when I know like there's a point to me that people need to recognize that, too, though, like this is too far. You know, like you're not going to make you calm down. You're not going to be rational. So maybe it's OK to give yourself some grace and peace out of this situation immediately right now. But it, part of like conquering fear for me, my, for example, speaking on stage has become one of my favorite things to do. It's being prepared because if you were to say, OK, Heather, here's this script, go memorize it and stand on stage. Probably not so much like I'm not going to feel as good about that. But if you're like, go talk about this thing that you love and that you're passionate about and just go up there and talk for 30 minutes about it. Zero scared, no fear at all. So I think just being proactive in your fear, recognizing 
okay, this is a situation that if I don't have my act together, I'm going to be in bad mental state, emotional state, but I'm prepared. So I'm going to be good. It's almost like tricking your brain into like, you're not, you're not giving yourself a script. You're kind of just giving yourself like waypoints for like, then to allow yourself to just talk about the thing that you love for 30 minutes. And that opens itself up to such an incredible conversation. Um, what's your favorite thing that you've talked about on stage? Oh my gosh. I mean, it usually starts out as some kind of like social media or coaching or something else like that, but it always like trips right back around to something about mindset or something about how like reshaping your thoughts around something or, or just the power of your brain. Like this always rolls back to this stuff. Cause this is what I love so much. So it always ends up rolling back around to this, uh, same, similar topic. Uh, something that was interesting. I heard totally left field um, in a from a mindset coach that I listened to recently. It's just it, and I wondered at the end, I was like, could, could you believe anything? Not him, but like anybody. Right. He was talking about in, there was an episode of Grey's Anatomy where I think her name's Meredith Gray is standing there before a surgery. And she's they walk in and she's standing there and she's got like her arms back and like the power pose. Right. Like literally a superhero power pose. She's standing in a room by herself with this power pose. And somebody walked in and said, what are you doing? You're supposed to be getting ready for surgery. And she's like, I am. The person that's in there, every other surgeon in the entire world, turned this person down. It's got, they said this was an inoperable brain tumor. And she's about to go in there and operate on it. And and so she did this power pose because it, it gave her inner strength. And this guy was telling us that, like, there was science behind that standing that way and believing, you know, and getting that whole thing together. And I thought, you know what? I wonder if you told people. If you raised your arm up to the sky, like pointed at the ceiling as high, like with your pointer finger as high as you possibly could, that there is science behind your finger being at the very point of your body, that that's going to bring power to you. But you know what? If you get people to believe and not in like a, a negative, but like if you if people believe things, it, it's, it, I don't know, it just makes me wonder, like, how much more could you harness if you just believed anything that's good? You know what I mean? That Anything that could bring you strength in whatever way you needed that to be. I don't know. I just feel like there's so many things you could tell yourself that when I do this, this happens, you know, power. So now doing a power pose has become like my thing that I'm like, I'm just going to power pose this out for about four seconds before I walk into this thing, you know, and you guys try it. You try it. You text me when you do it and be like, man, that was awesome. Yeah. Science. Science. Not, not going to lie. I've actually done that. Um, I actually had an executive presentation before. I didn't like straight up like Wonder Woman power pose, but I definitely like had to look myself in the mirror and be like, you got this? Good! Got this. Um, I love it. I, uh, the presentation went terribly, but but did I feel better about it? Yes, I did. Yes, <laughs> That's I did. Awesome. That's awesome. That's great. Well, they, they, I have heard that there's science behind faking it till you make it because you're if you were to do it the other way where you make it until you feel that confidence, that's going to take you, that path is a lot longer than if you tell, than if you power pose and, and fake the confidence that maybe you don't feel and that, and making it, you know? So the, that path is a lot shorter and it does work. I agree. Yeah. And I'm a big believer in fake it till you make it, because I think that the, like public misconception is, oh, you're being phony. You hear the word fake, right? And it's like, that's absolutely not what fake it till you make it means. It's like, that means like dressing the part until you know what the part feels like naturally, you know, and surrounding yourself with people who do that thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. 
Right. I, in fact, it reminds me of the first time I, I was asked to judge, be the costume contest judge for a Comic-Con. And I had never done any. Yeah, it was so much fun. They asked me because of my costuming and fashion design, like, qualifications. But I never judged anything like that before. And, man, I walked in there and I was like, cool, this is going to be so great. I love this. I judged other things, but not this type of thing. So I walk in and everybody there is dressed in costumes for characters I don't know because anime and that's not my world and because of comic books and that's also not my world and a majority of it was that and I was thinking oh no like I know some video game characters and I know some movie (laughs) characters and it'll be fine like there was a few of those like in fact there was a really great um Mario there was a (laughs) I was thinking there was a really great Zelda and there was a really great um what's his name from uh Guardians of the Galaxy, who the character Chris Pratt plays. Uh, Star-Lord. Star-Lord, yes. There, there were a couple really great. And I was like, oh, at least I recognize that one. And I had to go, okay, like I have to not just. But I, I, felt, I felt lost because of that. And despite the fact that I, I mean, they believed that I knew what I was doing. But I kind of just went like, okay, I'm just going to fake it till I make it in this one. And I must have done all right because they asked me to come back. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was so great. I would do that every if there are any Comic Cons out there, I would love to be part of that. I bet it was so much fun, especially because of your background and your what's the formal name? I mean, I don't want to say you just sew because you're just sewing is like next level professional, like um, somebody who makes a dress for a queen. Oh, thank you for saying that. Um I mean I I've done fashion design, so I guess a fashion yes, designer. Design. Yeah, and then costumer too. Thank you. Yeah, just unbelievable. I love seeing your pictures come out. So impressive. Thank you. It's so, it's crazy. I'm always like, I want to be that princess in a butterfly dress. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can uh, make and for that anybody. Happen. Sorry, <laughs> I was Trey. Gonna say, uh, for anybody that would like to see more of uh, the art that uh, Heather is referring to, you can go visit Emily's page at, at Emily Kramer Art on Instagram. You should. You should do that. You're yeah, and you'll see cat and dog pictures too. Yay! If we get silly, it's great. Your dog is my favorite. <laughs> Huckleberry, He's such oh. a good. Boy. Here we even have an emoji with Huckleberry for Huckleberry yes. in the chat. Here I'm gonna pop it up there. Look at that special boy. Yeah, I took a picture of him just so we could make it an emoji. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, You're cute. So tacky. Um, one thing that I, I do want to ask you, Heather, um, it, this is kind of a, a setup to the next question. Um, I, what I've appreciated is that you've talked about like the difference between being funny or just kind of like this idea of faking it until you make it. Um, and for me, there's a lot of power in being very vulnerable. So how do you balance out being vulnerable with people while maintaining that that inner positivity or that forward momentum in your thinking? I think it comes out to just like you said, it is just a balance. You know what I mean? It's because, and I guess part of it is just naturally, like I, I enjoy laughing and have a fairly good sense of humor and appreciate people who do too. So that's there. But what I realized, um, there was actually a specific page, Facebook post that I did for one of our clients probably five or six years ago that I went from doing the typical congratulations post 
you know, like, oh, yeah, they bought a house to this lady I had worked with for three years. Um, her credit started out in the 400s. We worked through that. Um, we went under contract on one house. The appraisal came back $40,000 short. That didn't work out. So then we had to wait another couple months for a credit to get back up. Um, so when she closed on that house, first of all, she was like late forties and this is her very first house she's ever bought this. It just felt like a personal victory to me. And so when this closing happened, I just felt like saying like, Oh, congratulations. It just wasn't enough. Um, and so with her permission, I was like, can I share your story? And so I told it like the whole thing, like a lot of words, the ups and the downs and like all the details. And I was like, I don't even care who reads this as long as she sees this. That's what my soul needed. Um, and it was exposing all the yuck, you know, all the the whole thing. And I, I went from like my normal, like I looked back at my first house I ever sold and the likes that it got on Facebook. And it was like 13 and one of them was me. I was like, God, who was I that day? But like, then I looked at this post and it had like four or 500 likes and it wasn't like a popularity contest. It was an awareness that like, people want to see this stuff. Like they like the real and the raw and the yuck because they probably have yuck they're going through too. So the balance I think is thankfully I, it's not every day that you like encounter like a really emotional thing. Right. Um, I wouldn't be able to personally handle that. I don't think if it was every day, but when there are those days feeling like it's a safe place to just talk about it. Um, but, but again, it's like, I think that, People are like, how do you post this stuff? How do you post strategically? Like, when do you post dogs? When do you post business? I post life as it happens. And I share life as it happens. And so, like, if it's a week where there's been a bunch of heavy stuff, where well, you're going to hear about it. Now you know what, like, what it feels like to be me this week. Like, it's heavy. You know what I mean? And if all it's been is, like, happy stuff and light stuff, and here's 48 pictures of my dogs. Like, that's my world this week, you know? So I guess I'm just lucky that my life is diverse enough that I don't have to really like orchestrate it. It just happens the way that it does, but I am aware. And I think everybody should be, be aware of your audience, right. And, and look, look at the feedback that you're getting, look at the responses that you're getting. They're going to tell you based on the reactions and, and, you know, the interaction that's happening. Social media is social. So like, if you're not getting a whole bunch of feedback on it, take that and learn from it. Maybe, if it's two o'clock on a Tuesday and you're posting pictures of yourself at the lake, maybe, you know, backlog those till Saturday, you should be working at two o'clock on Tuesday. Maybe don't post that right now, you know? So, you know, read your audience. And I think looking at your audience as an audience, instead of just like your yearbook or your family reunion, looking at this is like, there are people listening and watching all the time, even if you don't know about it. So being aware that you're talking to a room full of strangers at all times, because you are. That's Let yeah, you know, I've seen evidence of that too. Well, it's just like, well, you, like you brought up my dresses. There are people every now and then they'll bring up, oh yeah, I love your work. And I'm like, I, I, you don't even like any of my posts or anything. I didn't know you even paid attention. I didn't even think you knew what I did. And I'm always really surprised that they were watching, but a lot of people lurk and they don't give feedback. Until they do. Mm-hmm. And I think the one thing I noticed in your post is that you were vulnerable in like the right ways. You know, you weren't, you weren't just dishing on Facebook. You weren't just complaining about your life. You weren't like, this is what's going wrong, but you were vulnerable in a way that was relatable, but not without, not with a negative. 
Did that make sense? So it does. And I'll tell you, there's an intention behind this. I think, I mean, I think just like whatever you do, you should do with intention period because then the outcome is on purpose. But for me, when I post, I will never ever post a negative, whether it's a something that happened to me that happened without it already having have have had a positive outcome. It's going to be a past tense situation because I think that you inspire people by showing them these negatives can happen, but there's a one at the end because otherwise it's complaining. You know what I mean? And it's like, I just don't think that's something that I, I don't think that serves a purpose, at least in my world. It's like, I want to show people that like, yes, this stuff was, it sucked. It was horrible. And I'll go into like gross detail about how horrible it was. Like this was the worst. And if that's what you're going through, keep going because I'm here to show you and tell you like, I've seen a million other people who've gone through that too. And it does suck, but it's going to be okay. And it is for sure because it happened to me, you know? So it is, it is very intentional that I try not to post anything that's like present time negative because I'm, I'm not looking for advice. And I think that's not really a great way to motivate people. I like how you said that there's a win at the end. Yeah. For sure. This is the part where I wait for Trey to see if he's, if it's his turn or not. He's messing me up. I keep no. saying in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> no, Emily, it's your turn. Go. Is it my turn? Oh, good. Well, you know, I, I was going to comment earlier about your video today about the 10-year-old you. Can you tell us about that? Do you remember? Yeah, I do. So it's crazy. So my husband, Brad, has three psychology degrees, which is amazing and sucks all at the same time. Um, but he's always shrinking my brain. It's, but it's he's amazing because he's like, he's really listening. And he's, you know, Emily knows him. So he's like Silent Bob. He says very little. And when he does talk, it's like Winston Churchill. It's like everybody listens, you know. So um, I, I can't remember the exact conversation, but I was telling him lately, I've been going through, you know, lots of conversations with people about imposter syndrome and like why do you believe what you believe about yourself why do you feel who is in and, and i was talking to him about how like it i felt like a failure with this thing and like i like i wasn't doing enough and nothing i ever do is ever you know it's always like i it wasn't good enough even if it was perfect and he's like heather why do you feel like that like why are you who told you this about you who told you you weren't enough or who told you you failed and i'm like so I really put thought into it because, I mean, I'm like this. I would love to figure this whole thing out. Right. And so I started thinking about it and I'm like, I mean, my mom didn't tell me I failed. And like my teachers never told me I failed. My friends don't tell me I failed. Like, who was this asshole who told me I failed all the time? Made me feel like this. And I realized like I was that asshole. Like it was me and it wasn't current me. It's whatever I was telling myself. If you go back in your life to the point that you made a decision in your brain for whatever it was about how the rich people live and how the poor people live. Right. Like to me, I grew up very, very lower middle-class working family. And then there were the kids whose parents lived in nice two-story houses and my 10 year old brain, you were rich if you had a two-story house. Um, and, but it's like all these things that you had decided, this is what it is when you're little, whatever those things, this is what good looks like. This is what bad looks like. This is what success looks like. This is what failure looks like. All these very black and white definitive things that for some reason, your 10 year old self who knew nothing outside of like power Rangers and like, you know, uncrustables, you had the authority to decide for your grown up self because that 10 year old was still in your life, bossing you around in your head that you were giving that kid permission this whole time. And so, Brad kind of, he's like that, I hear you, Heather, but that's what you thought when you were little. 
And it's almost like it didn't make sense to him that I was still like listening to that kid. And it honestly didn't make sense to me either. As soon as I realized what I was doing, I was like, oh, this is ridiculous. You're right. It, it was like a, you see in like a therapy movie or something where I was like, talk to myself conversation, like 10 year old Heather, I'm evicting you. You like, you are not allowed to be my boss anymore. You're, I'm not, I don't care what you think. You, you don't know what the world looks like. You're 10. Like you are not making my adult decisions. You're not making me feel bad about me. You go worry about your punky Brewster shoes and whatever it is that you're watching after school, you go back to, to 10 year old land. You're not controlling my adult life anymore. And I bet you there are a million people in the world who are being controlled by this child that they don't realize is still controlling them. I bet you're right. And I think that we're fortunate enough in a day and age that we can have these very honest, very vulnerable conversations about the things that we're still holding on to. And a lot of times, for me personally, it feels like it's almost molasses that it just kind of gets stuck in there. And it's like so deep and ingrained in there that you almost have to like forcibly evict it um, like some squatter out of a house that until you take that active approach towards like pushing it out of your life, it will continue to stay stuck in there. Um, and that's, that's as best as I can explain that. I think that's like an awesome analogy though. And it's like, if, to me, part of the uncomfortable part of that, you know, you realize this stuff and you do it, you evict that child from your life. But then the weirdest thing happened to me at least is you're alone again, right? So now you're left to your own devices and not this 10 year old, even if she sucks and is making really, you know, making you feel bad about your life. Now it's up to you to decide things, which has become scary again. You know, we talk about fear, but it's like, so what are your choices? You do it or you don't. Right. So you stay where you are. You stay where you just tried to leave. That's not great. Or, or you say, you know what, I'm going to give this a go. And, and you do that instead. But it's like, it's, it's a kind of a two-step process, I think. It's like realizing it and evicting that thing and then like figuring out who you really are and what you really believe about yourself. How do you break through the fear that is your perfectionism as what like what's gotten you this far? I still work on this. Um, I, For me personally, I, I have to, because there's two sides of this. It's like, okay, this is my expectation of other people too. Um, and that's not fair to expect of them. And, and so it's like, okay, where are we going to chill? Where are we going to be cool? And where is it not? And so for me, I've drawn a line and it's like, okay, with my business, this is allowed to be my universe. Like this is allowed to be the way I want it to be. The culture needs to be the way I, this is, this is my design, you know? And I can't imagine if Steve Jobs or somebody that was creating like their own little empire, which is a different comparison. I get it. But like, you know, <laughs> started somewhere right in a garage. So, um, but you know, it's like, they decided what this was going to look like and they just, and based on what their vision was, this is where this went. And if they would have started like, you know, branching off on this and deviating, it wouldn't have worked. Like they had to like stay the course and get on a train track and say, you know what, anything that's in my way, it's either not getting on the train or it's getting run over. And that's, I mean, for a really abrasive example of how it is here. It's like, this is how it is um, because it matters that much to do things the right way and to do it the good way. And, and it's like, none of the things that we want here in the perfection piece of it are bad. You know, like I look at this and I'm like, what is wrong with making every single client feel like they're your only client, even if you've got 25 people you're working with? What is wrong 
with having the expectation that every text and every call will be answered in three minutes, no matter what. There's nothing to me. There's nothing wrong with that, you know, like to have them only want to make people feel important and feel better. So um, where I struggle with it is, is it goes back to the nothing's ever good enough. Right. Like it's, and it's hard to live that way because I'm sure that the people around me are like, God, I've given you a million percent. And like, you're still kind of like, that was 80 percent, you know, and it's just it is hard. And it's trying to just chill out because it's like, honestly, if the world exploded tomorrow, did the fact that like that was like the smiley face on that cookie was a little crooked. Does it really matter? Like, is that going to really, so it's like learning to like let go a little bit and realizing that like, we're all running out of time. Like the reality of it, all of us, like the day you're born, you start running out of time. And, and last year I had a heart attack. And I think that was when my biggest aha was, is I'm like 43 years old in the hospital bed having an active heart attack. And I'm like, this isn't the way I wanted this to go down. Like this wasn't it. And I don't know when, when you have one of these like big moments, your, your brain, it changes you. It changes how you think and how you feel. And um, that has helped me somewhat chill out a little bit because it's like, does it really matter this much? You know, is, is it really worth that? But it's hard. It's hard when people don't care as much as you do about things. And, um, and I think to me, the effort, is more important than the results. If I see you given a hundred percent and really truly trying your best and the best you're going to pull off is a B plus or a B or a C, but you, I saw the effort that was there. That's good enough. You know, like the A isn't a proof of the effort to me. The A is you did great, whatever. But it's like, if the effort isn't there and we get a C, I've got a major problem with this now, you know? And I think there's a difference between excellence and perfectionism. How would you define the difference to you? Excellence is something to strive for that okay we want to be excellent we don't we're not here to be average we're here to be awesome you know it's excellence to me excellent is a habit perfectionism is an unattainable thing that's too much pressure for anyone none of us are actually perfect and it's also a very unforgiving mindset it absolutely is excellent it's an isolating mindset too i think you know Is you're creating an island that only you really will fit on, basically, if you're right. expecting everybody to be perfect all the time. And by that logic, I do. I just want to pose this question. If if no one is perfect, and we recognize that no one's perfect, but we call ourselves a perfectionist, are we actually perfect? And do we belong on that island? And then it becomes like this debilitating, like, oh my god, am I meeting up to my own goals? And um, like, to me that would cause me to like break down my own psyche and like be over anxious and striving for that unattainable um that unattainable mark that emily was mentioning right right i agree i mean i i think i used to be a perfectionist and that was very hard to understand how to tackle i guess i don't know another way to put it really truly i believed in excellence but i was raised where the way I turned out, I was a perfectionist. And I found that I was, yeah, I, I had a high expectations for myself, which gave me high expectations for those around me. And I was constantly, I remember a time in college when I sat down, I used to run sound for a youth center. And I sat down at the soundboard and I looked at it and I was like, I'm so glad I'm here because I'm not around the people downstairs who are hearing the music I'm playing. I'm not, I'm not having to deal with any of those people. And someone said, why? 
And I was like, you know, this was before we had conversations about introverts and extroverts. And I said, because people disappoint me. And they went, wow, that's huge. And I thought about that. I was like, I mean, it was kind of a truth moment where I was like, why do people disappoint me? Like I said it out loud. It, it does feel true. And I realized it was because I had these crazy high expectations for myself and I was holding everybody else to those same expectations. And that's not fair to anybody. Right. For sure. Yeah. So I decided to strive for excellence instead of perfectionism. No, I really <laughs> love that though because it gives it that, that saying in itself, I feel like gives you permission to expect good and to expect effort and to expect high quality and good results and all these things that like in your mind, you do sort of like want to blend with perfectionism, but it also like keeps you real. And it's like, you, you're going to have a 99.9 .9, quit expecting everybody to be able to just consistently pull hundreds though. Like, yeah, uh, but I like that. And cause anybody, I think excellence, if, if, if it isn't natural, it could be trained, you know? Yeah. And if I can brag on Emily for just a second, because I have worked with Emily and I have seen her be a manager, um, that mindset in and of itself, I think, was truly profound while working under her. Um, I've worked with her twice, uh, once for a brief stint back in 2013, and then for about two years. You know these dates. <laughs> yes, I do, because they're important. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> um but it's it's watching someone want habits and for a while i mistook the difference between perfectionism and excellence and what emily always asked for was excellence and so she's really someone who practices what they're preaching um and so every day that we would go into work it was not it she didn't expect perfect but what she expected us to do was to be excellent at what we did we were excellent and we turned a what could have just been a, a million dollar store into a several million dollar store i forget the exact number so i don't want to quote anything um out of token um but really by her guidance and by the effort that she put into it was really inspiring towards creating a well-oiled machine that really inspired us to do better for the store itself. Um, did she bend over backwards to make things happen? Yes, but it inspired excellence. So to her, thank oh, you. Gosh, thank you. I'm gonna <laughs> add to the Emily Alcalade. So um, oh, no. I've worked on the other side <laughs> of Emily before being, um, she's done photography for me at multiple events that we've had. And one thing that, and, and she also did photography at me and Brad's wedding and we eloped and that was a night that ended up being magical that almost didn't. And it was awesome. It was really cool. Yeah, It was so cool. But Emily said so the nice thing about Emily is she, she's so calmly cheerful. Like she's always, it's beyond pleasant, but it's not like extra, but you always felt like anything that you truly, Emily, it's like, nothing's ever a problem. It's like, could you do this? And I was like, Oh, you're going to say, this is the 97th edit. I've asked you to make on this. And you're like, sure. No problem. It's always no problem. And it's always so just like, yeah. Okay, cool. It's like, it's like, you're the one you want around in a stressful situation because you're going to make everybody trust, not just here, but trust it's going to be okay. Because you're going to make him feel like it's going to be okay. That's your superpower. He's he's nodding. <laughs> I he's can like, I can I, I can that exact phrase 
has been used on us. Like something happened at work. I'm not going to talk about the details because I don't want to use real names. Um, and I can't change them on the spot right here. So I'm just going to say <laughs> uh, stuff happened at work. And uh, we'd be like, oh, my God, Emily, you're going to kill us. Blah, 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 blah. And then the gears just start turning. And she just goes, <laughs> don't worry. We're going to get through this. We've got this. I'm working on a plan in my head right now. You go do this right now. And I'm going to finish this. And But just like work with us, not berated us. And that was, it was glorious. It's the best kind of leader. I am tearing up, guys. <laughs> Hello. Hello. This is therapy with Emily. No. I don't know what to say. <laughs> this podcast took a turn. Let me, tell, I tell, let me tell this story real quick. This is a good Emily story. I mean, <laughs> maybe Emily did or didn't have something to do with this. But when we went to get married, so Brad and I, we were... Um, we decided to elope. So Emily, about four weeks prior, Brad and I weren't even engaged yet at this time, sent me pictures from this place, these abandoned churches. Oh, yeah. I would love to do a photo shoot of these things. And I was like, oh, my God, I would love to get married there. Ironic, but I'm not engaged yet. So and then Brad <laughs> prepares to be like four days later. And Brad's just like a hopeless romantic. And he's like, let's get married in three weeks. And I'm like, okay, great. So we did. Then um, I was like, I already have the perfect place. Emily sent me a picture of these abandoned church ruins in the middle of effing nowhere down in, is the embassy in South Carolina or Georgia? It was uh, Buford, South Carolina. Okay. So we are on our way down there and we decided to stop and get sparklers and we're supposed to meet Emily there right as the sun's going down. So we're on the clock. We're still running like an hour early. So we're good. Well, we got sidetracked in Columbia. I ended up in the ghetto. I don't know how we're not dead, but it was really, really interesting field trip. And we never did find sparklers. So like an hour later, oh, right. we're back on the road. It was just a disaster. And then Brad's like, you have to have flowers. You have to have flowers. You know, like this is like a big deal to Brad. I'm like, I'm seriously a okay. And he's like, no, you don't. So this place where we're getting married, it's like if you took a left and went down a dirt road for like 80 miles, that's where it was. Like it was it was so it was pretty far, far out there. It was so far out there. It was crazy. So we st we found a, a grocery store and we stopped and got like this batch of hydrangeas. And we're like, great. OK, they're in like the bottom of the barrel of the flowers left from the entire week. Whatever. It's fine. <laughs> I was happy I get flowers. So by the time we got to these church ruins 30 minutes later, the flowers completely wilted as we're walking. Oh, every yeah. petal falls off of them. And I'm like, yellow, it's fine. And then we pull up, though, and it's like, so this place at the time was ungated, exposed to, like, the whole universe. And it is these stunning, like, Colosseum in Greece kind of, like, really gorgeous, just stunning. But there's all these people. Like all these people everywhere. I mean, it's like you're taking so prom pics or like, I don't know, probably 20 or 30 people. And we're like, oh, this is going to be super awkward. We're getting married in the middle of like all these like people. And as we're walking up and every single person just slowly left. And it wasn't like we asked them to. It was like almost like as if there was a storm and the clouds parted and you saw the sun kind of thing. It's that like, is accurate. Yes. It was magical. It, was it really so was. It was so amazing. Yeah. So anyway, Emily was there and got the most amazing in the sweetest, the sweetest. It wasn't that she just got the pictures because they were so gorgeous. She cut sweetness. Like that's what Emily does. So anyway, <laughs> thank you. 
start to finish made that entire thing happen because it was like your vision that started that whole process, Emily, that that's why we ended up where we were. Uh, yeah. You know, it, <laughs> it was getting dark and I was like, I didn't want to rush you guys, but it was getting dark and the, it's so hard to photograph when it's like that kind of lighting. And I was like, um, but I can't be like, hurry up and get married. <laughs> <laughs> it was really getting dusky and it's yeah. funny like everything turned out okay it did anyway and I was so worried I wanted like what I thought I wanted and the way it turned out you know you go back to like the perfectionism it doesn't exist right but like what you got instead was better than you ever could have dreamed of even perfectly orchestrating this thing so no it was amazing thank you thank you guys <laughs> that is one of my best memories too though that was Aww. such an amazing well i had never actually been there and for anybody listening it is the old shelby church ruins oh old yes. sheldon sorry old sheldon church ruins in beaufort south carolina you also can't get to it anymore it's completely gated up now oh really did you go back no i've seen and emily it was within like a month of us getting married that they gated this place up so again just things all lining up perfectly like if we would have gone a month later we couldn't have even gotten in wow so because that place what? had such an atmosphere to it and and then the lights that came on when it did get dark were really kind of neat too yes and it was a moon the full moon that night too it was just beautiful and perfect so yeah it was great yeah it was worth the drive totally beautiful so beautiful. Find some. If you keep going, you hit Charleston, I think. So you Makes can sense. get some good food down there. And... Yeah. Uh, one thing that that I do want to ask is with all of these experiences that you've had, you are now part of this team, um, you're leading team, you're giving speeches about being a mindset coach, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Are there, do you ever find yourself like not dreaming or do you have like this ultimate dream that you'd like to get to? It changes every time I hit like my next goal. I'm like, that's the next thing that I want. and. Brad will be like, there's another one. Don't worry. <laughs> like, it'll be a next one. No, and I think, um, I, I no, I'm, I'm always dreaming and I'm always thinking. Like, it's like I'm always of how to do the next thing or how I can one up what I thought last time that I wanted. But I'll tell you something that I've learned is like my, as long as I've got something to, to look forward to um, as far as like my life, right? You know, we wanted a farm for a hot minute a couple months ago. I was like, oh, that makes sense. We went to an animal shelter. Um, there was all, so many dogs, it was full. And I was like, we should get a farm. And Brad's like, you're right, we should get a farm. And so we looked for a farm and found the perfect farm and made an offer on it. And people took it off the market. It was too emotional to sell it. I understand. I mean, that's gotta be tough, right? Um, but it broke my heart. And then Brad's like, you know, I, I'm glad that didn't happen because thinking maybe, so somebody's asking the next dream is a great Pyrenees. Yes. <laughs> was the farm idea because of goats oh god i still want one of those and my friend in rock hill has a donkey at home like a pet mini donkey in rock hill city limits just chilling best life ever wow but anyway so that's like the farm okay i'm i think this happened for a reason we didn't get this because i hadn't thought through that like 18 acres we can barely maintain our half acre right now how are we going to maintain 18 
you know, sometimes you just don't think oh, we're in the moment. I don't know. We wanted a farm. So it was like pivot. Now I want a house in the middle of downtown. Like it was like, you know what I mean? So it, it it's like it doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't have to like it wasn't an emotional thing. It's whatever. But it's still a goal. Right. Like it wasn't like I was like, I don't want a farm. So now I don't know what I want. Now I will find something that I do want. It doesn't have to be material. It could be like whatever. Right. Um, like with our team right now, I have this whole vision of how this is going to look. Um, but but I think that goes back to the mindset. Right. What do you want your story to look like? Like you should be able to define what what do you want your story to look like? Because it's up to you. Like you get to pick that. So, so figure that out. If, if people are like, well, I don't know where to start. It's like, if you were to say, literally take your, take your gloves off. Nobody's looking, you know, once upon a time, write it on a piece of paper, write it. What if you were telling a story about you in a hundred years, what would you want those words to look like? And what would you want somebody to be saying about you? That's where you start, you know? And then it's like, as easy and as complicated as like, just do that. You know? I notice this a lot and this was actually something I think that Emily and I talked about. We saw so many different clients I would walk in and it was so clear that they had never been asked what they thought of something or yes. what they wanted of their own life. And so I think that there are many people out there who have never really, the door has never been open to the question of what do I want? And so I hope that whoever listens to this and whoever is watching this or whatever format you are partaking of this that ask yourself right now what do you want and give yourself the permission to ask yourself what do you want and i'll add to that what do you want and be make make sure that your present day adult self is answering that question make sure that it is not a version of you that you used to be make sure the right person's answering that because it matters I mean, if you ask 10 year old you what they want, it's going to be based on an idea or an ideal. Um, and if you ask current you, it should be based on your dreams, you know. That's right. Otherwise, I would have tried to be a singer by now. Well, you actually have a, you really have a nice no. voice. <laughs> Are we going to start no, doing I, shots? I wasn't trying to say that. <laughs> what, Heather? I, did, I thought you said we were doing shots and you were saying karaoke. I don't know. I mean, we can start that instead. <laughs> Somebody in the chat's like, oh, shots. <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to start that. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then the podcast took another turn. <laughs> I know. I didn't know if this have you guys seen Drunk History before? Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. See, I wasn't sure if that's what was going on here. I was like, so what are we doing tomorrow? <laughs> so, you know, we, we can visit that idea sometime. <laughs> we have had at least one guest that got drunk progressively while we were talking to them that's so amazing <laughs> we're gonna let we're gonna let our audience try to go back and figure out who that was <laughs> brad will be on your brad will be on your page tonight at like 3 30. <laughs> yeah a couple people that were there know and i i don't know if there's i think if you go back i mean, i'll give you a way to cheat for those who really want to know and don't want to go back and try to listen to every single episode because there's a lot on tick on our TikTok, you can go on there and watch the clips and one of the clips actually has a brief moment of this person taking the bottle and pouring themselves some more i caught it the other day when i was looking through clips to send you and uh 
I was like, oh my gosh, sure enough, there's the bottle. Because <laughs> like they were being sly about it. They were being like incog. And- At the beginning, they were sly. <laughs> and then they just, it didn't, yeah. I'm not going to give away any more than that. It, just go watch some TikTok. We don't even have that many TikTok videos, so it'll take you like 10 minutes to figure it out. <laughs> Is yeah. there... Um, oh my God, what was I? What was I thinking about? Um, who is somebody alive or dead that you would love to sit down with and have lunch? Uh, so there's so many. Give me a little famous or not famous. Uh, mm, hmm. That's a good question. That is. Let's go famous so that people know who they are. Um, So it's relatable. Um, So Betty White, I think, would have been really interesting. Um, I think she's just a doll. She wasn't, she loved animals. She was so fearlessly herself, though. Like, she didn't care if she felt like society norms about what was going on. She still had like grace about her through her whole life. And she saw so many things and she was so loved. She, she figured out a way to like, no matter the age group, age group or demographic or anything like nobody, I've never heard a soul say a crossword about Betty White. And I would defriend them immediately if they did, but she would to me be, it's like one of those people that's like, gosh, before she was gone, I wish there would have been a way to just have lunch with her and just tell, say, what's the cliff note version of your story? We got an hour. Tell me the highlights, you know, of her side of the story. Yeah, Betty, if you ever decide to come back to life, we would welcome <laughs> you on this podcast. <laughs> Trey would faint, um, as a lot of people would. <laughs> but that would be a cool conversation to have. Yeah. Yeah, she was awesome. I like that. That's a great lunch table. Zombie Betty White, someone said in the chat. Who is this? Is this is this Seth? No, um, that was Josh. I think Josh you, is funny. I think you met Josh because Josh was there when I was moving. I think you came by the house. Yes! Yeah. Well, Josh is funny. Yeah. Yeah, yes, we met. Betty White is the female version of Chuck Norris. I can see that. You know who would be another one? Steve Irwin. I think Steve Irwin would have been just a, because again, he didn't care to, and he was so extra and interesting and awesome and also loved animals. So anyway. I love watching his son do his thing. It's kind of like watching Steve Irwin. It's special, isn't it? It really is cool. Yeah. Yeah. His daughter's really cool too. Bindi. Yes. Yeah. They're such a cool family. Yeah, really, they are. We'll have to have them on the show. You know what? Do it. Yeah. You know what? They're going to be on the show. We're going to set the right mindset. They're going to be on the show. I mean, you're going worldwide, right? Yeah. Yeah, goals. As of next week, we're Mm -hmm. we're going international. And uh, we have a special guest from Scotland. But he has a cool accent. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. I hope he plays the bagpipes. Oh, we should add that to our list of questions. <laughs> or ask them to bring them along and see if they'll play them. Right. Mm-hmm. Is it like really terrible for Americans to just presume that a 
a Scottish person has and would play a set of bagpipes at our show. Yes. <laughs> but we're going to do it, it anyway. We're going to do it anyway. Okay. <laughs> well, because, like, what well, if we didn't and he has a set, we're missing out. So. <laughs> and Archer says, and wear a kilt while piping. Please wear a kilt. That's not a show. terrible American thing to think either. It's <laughs> two, th- two comments I want to call out. Uh, let's see. First is Seth. Uh, we can just go host our own version of the Highland Games and called uh, the Podcast Games. And uh, Credence said, I would go out on a bender with Mozart and never talk about music. Uh, why? Why? I bet there's a lot about Mozart that we don't know because everybody always talked to him about music, though. That is Just a saying. valid argument. I mean, have you watched argument. this documentary, that one with, what was it, Tom, Tom Hulk or something back in like the 80s or 90s about Mozart's life? It's worth watching. You'll learn a lot. Oh, Amadeus? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, he was bananas, um, but in all the best ways. And um, a little petty. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Um, I, I had a class on like the last 10 years of his life and just absolutely petty um, for some of the things that he would do. But he was good at what he did. Um, and that's as much as I'll say on Mozart. He was good at what he did. He was good at what he did. Uh, yeah, Creighton um, said he was a massive party animal. He knew everybody in his time. Good. God almighty, yeah. Um, so just like which you, is... Trey. <laughs> what? I'm just kidding. I feel like this is such like a cultural education. Like, <laughs> our audience knows so much. They're really yeah. smart. Mm-hmm. Benders and Mozart. Yeah. So what? What is something that happens, Heather? That, may, that sometimes it doesn't have to be something that happens a lot. But what is something that happens that makes you say yes? This is why I do what I do. It's the energy from other people, you know, whether it's like clients and something great happened or, or even when something not great happens and what we did had an impact on like how the not great impacted them. We recently had a deal where the, the market right now in real estate is changing and not the greatest direction for sellers. Then we had a house that we had listed. It was under contract at full price. It fell apart. Um, a couple of days before closing, these poor sellers already had bought another house and closed on it. And it came back on the market and um, it took three more weeks to go under contract. And this time the market's like slowly going down and down. And down. So I think we ended up at like fifteen or $20,000 less than the previous offer when it went under contract the second time. And then a few days before this one was supposed to close, the, the company that represented the buyer um, reached out and said, bad news. Basically, the buyer's income was reported incorrectly. You're going to have to drop the price another $10,000. I can get you in touch with multiple lenders who will back. It was completely true. Um, and it, or else we can't sell this house. So instead of just calling or Brad called and they didn't answer the sellers to explain what was going on. Instead of just texting and saying what was going on, he actually took a video or recording and and broke down like this is what's up. But like you could hear when this happens, like this is like our own house we're selling. And this happens too, you know, like we really wear this stuff heavy and they called back and they're like, Brad, it was almost like they're comforting Brad. And they're like, Brad, 
it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) But they said like that the steps he took to just do just the tiniest, just making that video so that they could hear a full explanation and see the emotion in the words and understand like, this is not happy news we're delivering right now. But they were like, you made it so much better by just taking, you know, doing what you did. Like, I can't tell you how much just the affirmation of like our efforts were recognized and it, we helped you feel a little bit better. Like my soul was happy when I went to sleep that night, not happy for what happened, but happy that they weren't devastated and they understood it wasn't our fault. And they knew that like, this is the way it is. And they were, as good as as cool as they could have been you know um but it is it's like feeling and seeing other people happy as a result or feel better as a result of something we did is my yes it's like hell yeah that's why we're doing this like you feel like that because we were able to help you and we're so thankful for being a part of this this piece of your story and how interesting that that was something that was kind of monumentally negative in the these are big life decisions Yeah. Yeah. So it is. And I think that's a lot of our job too. And a lot of life is like, just there's going to be stuff that gets thrown at you that you have no choice. This is, this is happening. You know, it doesn't matter if you like it or not, this is happening. So how are you going to choose to look at this and how are you going to choose to to handle it? So. Yeah. I think the fact that you can grab enough positive of it from that to say, yes, this is why I do what I do because we had that positive impact in this horrible situation. That's amazing. Thanks. I'm waiting on Seth because I, or Seth. <laughs> it's because his name's like, I'm waiting on Seth. I love when he comes on. He's very, he's very insightful sounding when he comes on with a question. You know, like it's very almost like, like he's your, your teacher or maybe a doctor who's coming in. I've been looking at your chart and. You know. <laughs> Trey, are you looking at Heather's chart right now? <laughs> uh, yes. And things talk? are amazing. Things are incredibly <laughs> positive and things are amazing. Um, so it's funny you say that because uh, one of my prior roles was being a facilitator. So um, it would a lot of that job and a lot of those opportunities were listening, intaking what people were saying and like finding a way to maybe spin it um, and take those ideas and make them a little bit more creative. And then there's also like the upper world side of things where if I open my mouth in a class full of like, I don't know, people who have been doing this for 20, 30 years, and I opened my mouth and said something stupid, like the amount of like judgment and just opera shame that would come out uh, of the, just their eyes alone uh, was was um, arresting in, in a word. So um, opera judgment, that's like an elite level of judgment. There is nothing quite as terrifying as walking into a room maybe the size of like a small auditorium and having a panel of six judges out of like eyesight. So you can't make out their distinct shapes, but you can, you know that they're there and you walk on stage alone and they're like, what is your first piece? Just a a voice in the room. Um, I will be singing this. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear this. Okay. So there it's, it is incredibly frightening. Um, so to anyone who is in the theater world or who anyone is in the opera world and making the better of the situation, bless, but more so to maybe why I'm a little bit, 
more pensive before I talk is because I don't want to sound stupid before I open my mouth. <laughs> and I've had to learn that it's okay to do that. And there's actually a lot of humor that can come out if you just let it be. That sounds like a 10-year-old in your head telling you you sound stupid. You should probably think about that and tell that 10-year-old that you're cool and not stupid. Mm, that's something my therapist and I talk about. <laughs> I can't imagine that. how scary that would be, though. I'm, like, picturing, like, Carnegie Hall-sized stage, you know, with, like, this massive auditorium full of seats and, like, you know, these, like, cloaked people like the, you know, the judges. <laughs> Know, and like this booming voice i don't want like the wizard of oz comes on like yeah I don't want to that piece you know and it's like you're saying you're sorry and the tin man's there and it's like the whole thing so yeah i get it that's worse than what we see from like the american idol and like x-factor auditions yeah it is but i think it kind of goes back to that fear of like prepping yourself and there's a lot of mental prep before you walk into the room um, and knowing how to walk into a room, keep your head held high, and just being yourself. Because at the end of the day, if you are not the right fit, you're not the right fit. Um, but there's also a conversation of like when there's discourse happening with other people, that there needs to be an openness of the conversation between the two parties. If you, as the person already in the room, are not inviting of the people that are coming into the room, there is going to be friction and it can be incredibly awkward. But if you are inviting of people coming into the room with what they have, chances are the conversation is likely going to go a lot better. Or whatever you happen to be doing, it will may go a little bit better. I have some thoughts toward now, toward gear, toward creating a game show based on your elite opera judgmentalism experience <laughs> never mind it sounds just horrible for everyone <laughs> no i would actually be interested yeah i think okay. you should right now we'll talk yeah. <laughs> right now okay um i don't know how to make this happen <laughs> trey oh wait oh i know how i just thought of how ready trey okay and go yes what are you singing trey? and go i do this to him all the time i'll go and go and then he just has to sing no, I don't want to hear that. A different one. <laughs> um, somewhere over the rainbow, way up high, birds fly over the rainbow. Why then, oh, why can't I? Okay. Okay. Beautiful. I loved it. We won't open the trap door for you to fall to your doom. <laughs> what? That's my favorite part. Ah! <laughs> it's just a trampoline down there. You just. <laughs> 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 well, every show it's something different, so you don't know what to expect. Oh, that's true. It could be a pit um, of grizzly bears. It could be a trampoline. It could be like a big vat of grits. It could be a big vat of grits. It could be delicious, or it could have like... You literally hear the sound effect in your head, can't you? 
of him falling into the squish of grits, thinking it was going to be a pool of water, but it wasn't. Right. And your grits, grit squish nightmares. Grit squish nightmares. That sounds like the name of a really failed album somebody made, you know? Right. Grit squish nightmares. Okay. <laughs> Trey is like gasping for air over here. <laughs> Creedence said, I could see Trey popping up saying half phrase like a yo yo. Right? Because the trampoline. Cookbook. <laughs> because of the grits? No, like if he fell through the trap door to the trampoline, he'd pop back up just to keep singing. <laughs> like he would just come up and be like, and you'd hear like every third word he said. Right. It would be like, row, row, row your boat gently down the street. <laughs> Uh, hello and welcome to the uh, the the wacky part of our podcast here for this uh, you guys are great <laughs> um so like when um so like you commented on that and i'm going to be very open and vulnerable about that's still something that i personally struggle with is Grits. having that 10 year old Yes, having grits, like falling into a vat of grits. Um, but falling into that habit of listening to that 10-year-old um, or whatever kid is inside my head telling me that's stupid or that sort of thing um, and still shaking quite a bit of that off. And I kind of want to ask, like, how many people do you interact with on a on a consistent basis when you're coaching them how many people do you interact with like that? And what are some of those uh, like excuses or obstacles that they put forth um, to you during your conversations? So all of them is the answer, you know, and it's, that's so many things have been like an epiphany to me. Like, it's like, you think you're this like unique in a bad way, right? That this happened to you, that it's like, but it's, it's all of us. And, um, as far as obstacles, I think everybody's pretty much like it's almost a relief place when you're able to say, I do this, too. Right. It's not even like people are making excuses for it. It's like this is what I do. And um, this is something that I got from Brad. Um, I can't take credit for this one, but it helps me get my kind of like mind right, I guess, with this um, or my perspective is, OK, how many people for you, for example, Trey, how many people in your life have said you are an absolutely amazing singer. Like you are so, like, that was a fabulous performance. Like I loved hearing your voice. That have verbally told me like maybe five. What? Okay, well, I'm gonna tell you right now so you can make that six. Okay. (laughs) That you have a fabulous voice. Oh my gosh, I'm like, that makes me wanna make him sing all over the place so everybody can be like, oh my God, your voice is amazing. But it's like the, typically, for these type of things is is with most things that we're telling ourselves like we suck or we're bad or we're going to embarrass ourselves or what you know whatever the the negative that you've got like spinning in your head is see there's another Trey your voice is amazing yeah thank Josh. you yeah and we're in front of you we would never lie so no we're at the six so if one person has said this like negative thing to you right like one person but you've had five or six other people say this really positive thing to you. And I'm not talking a master class where you're like intentionally being critiqued. Like in real life, somebody 
has come up to you after a performance said, Trey, I literally just wasted an hour and a half of my life listening to you. Like this was unbelievably atrocious. I can't even believe you think you can sing. Like first off, nobody would say that, but that's like probably as bad as it could get with a performance. So one, are we mm -hmm. really going to worry about that guy? If he says that, what a douche, right? Like mm -hmm. what a horrible human. So is that your fault or his? That's on him. Like, really, you're worried about the opinion of someone who shouldn't matter. So second, though, if if you have heard a negative and this negative is like resounding in your head, you've heard it. Maybe it wasn't that extreme. Why are you listening to that so much louder than these other five people, 10 people, 100 people, whatever? Why is that one negative the voice you're choosing to resonate over and over and hear over? Why? Why aren't you listening louder to the other so many more people who think you did a great job and all these positive things? Like, Why do we as humans choose to to focus on that one negative, the one critic, the one guy who is having a bad day that said something ugly to you that won't even remember who you are tomorrow? You know, why do we do that? So it, it's a it's an awareness of, OK, I'm going to choose not to listen to that guy. I'm going to choose to look at that as something that like whatever his problem is with me, I, I don't think that he's correct, nor do I really even care what he thinks. And I'm going to, if I need somebody else's opinion, I'm going to focus on what the majority said. And the majority said I did a pretty good job. Hmm. Maybe to answer the question, I know it was more rhetorical, but I think it's when someone offers up the, like that negative, uh, that negative comment that sticks sticks to us so poor so much like it's like that nasty peanut butter that molasses etc that we mentioned earlier and i think that sticks with us so much that we think it's very hard to get off versus that positive comment it's just like oh well and chuck that in the bucket behind me like um i think that when it's negative there's so much more complex emotions happening that it's maybe a little bit more difficult to get off so we just kind of get wrapped up inside of that and we let that become our universe versus letting the stuff that we just chucked become our universe. I agree. And I think I swear you guys, we need to have like a how to beat imposter syndrome series entirely because it, I truly think that that comes into play too, right? It's like those people that were saying the positives, they couldn't be right. Or they, they're just saying that to be nice. You know what I mean? It's like you're making... All these, instead of making an excuse for why the guy who gave you a negative made that comment, you're making excuses for all the positive people. And, you know, like, it, you know, it, it's like you could choose, though, just as easily if you were willing to accept that you did do a good job and you are talented, choose to listen to your fans and your the people that and surround yourself with that, you know, choose to choose to be immersed in that because that's the people who, when you do make a mistake or you do flub or you, you fall, they're going to be the ones that are like, you just get back up. You've got this, you know, like you're going to be fine. Look now, you know, not to, to take a breath a, a minute sooner or whatever it is, you know, like this, but they have faith in you without you even telling them because they're aware of what you're capable of because they, they trust you based on your own, what you've shown them they know better than you know that you're going to pull through this and it's going to be amazing. If, um, if for anybody that's listening out there, if it's not apparent, please come uh, hire Miss Heather Cook. I'm sorry, Mrs. Heather Cook here. Um, if nothing else, to, to listen to the incredibly inspiring words that she has put forth and will put forth in your life. Um, yeah. Uh, when is your next seminar, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> not there yet i'll send you an invite once we get something prepared though <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Would you ever do a TED talk? Oh yeah. 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 I'd have to really, really be prepared for it for sure. Yeah. Um, but I think honestly, that almost makes me feel like it's like a, you know, remember double dare and it's like, that's a physical challenge. Like, I feel like now I'm like, maybe I need to get to the point to do a TED talk. I think the people who have the opportunity to do a TED talk are so fortunate because you get this platform where you're able to like, really like share whatever your power is, you know, cause everybody's got a superpower, like everybody's got one. So it's like, and they're so diverse, you know, you're getting to speak on whatever your superpower is. Like, I think it would be so awesome to have gotten to such a place that you're invited to speak on something that you're recognized as being like this knowledgeable in. I think it'd be cool. I think so too. Yeah. You know, something you said about imposter syndrome, I thought about it because you said you said people just say that to be nice. That was one of the words you said. And I went, oh, gosh, I'm guilty of that one. Because <laughs> in my strive for excellence, <laughs> I believe I can do something that's, you know, pretty top level for my own standards and be happy with it or at least happy enough to move forward with it. And. So when I get compliments on it, if it's just happy enough to move forward with it and then I'm getting compliments on it, I'm going, oh yeah, they're just, they're just, that's my friend. <laughs> and I, and I thought about that because Josh actually brought that up the other day. He was like, why would you, I mean, I'm, what am I accusing all of my friends of lying then? Because <laughs> that's what Or that having is. like subpar standards, you know? Right. Like I'm like, I don't think that poorly or little of my friends, but I'm that somehow. <laughs> and and to build on what you said too, to Trey anyway, is if you're, if you're, you are saying negative things to yourself, but you would never let someone talk to me that way. Like you, would, if someone came in and was like, you're not doing a good job or you're not uh, well, because I know Trey and I know Trey is like fiercely loyal and he will he's he will defend his friends. And so if someone is is saying something about me that's negative, he he would never let them get away with that. He would never he would never. So why would you let yourself get away with that talking to yourself that way? Just saying. I agree. And maybe that's kind of a. Again, goes back to mindset, but like kind of, but my, I think mindset and like a realization are kind of like almost hand in hand is you shift your mind because you realize you have an option to think a different way about this. And to be brave, it is a brave thing to think about it a different way, right? But like, what if you heard yourself talking the way that you're talking to yourself or you heard someone else talking to you that way to look at yourself almost as almost like a, a third person stance that you're like, don't, I mean, go ghetto on somebody. Like, don't you think you can talk to me like that? You know what I mean? It's like, but that for real, it's like protecting your yourself with the same fierceness and the same like fearless fierceness that you would if he was talking about you or, you know, someone that he loved. It's like, he wouldn't let that happen. He's not going to be cool with that. And he's certainly not going to cower. He's absolutely not going to be like, you know what? You're right. You're right. Your opinion matters. I suck. Or she sucks. She sucks. You're right. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Emily, exactly. Emily's the worst. And I, I don't like that dress you made. And, and you're definitely, he's going to be like, Emily, please immediately befriend this asshole on Facebook. Like, we're not going to have <laughs> in your world. So like, you know, he, he drew in um, protective friend advice. Be your own friend here, you know? Yeah. Just At the end of the day, you're stuck with you. So like, 
like you. Be okay with that. Yeah, you might as well be nice to yourself. Right. And then find the people. There's so much beauty when you find the right circle, when you're not having to fight to be in it and you're not having to wonder, like, what do they think? And it's like, this all works. And, and really, do we really need 20 close friends? Really? It's like they say you're the average of your four closest friends. And if you right. really, really look around, there is so much truth in that. So make sure that's the right people you're hanging out with in, in the right energy. It's not just the right, you know, are they responsible? Yeah, if they're responsible, but they're passive aggressive. Maybe that's not the right fit, you know, so protect yourself that way. I can't agree more. And one thing I do want to ask is so that so that people can find you and maybe you expand your circle and more people expand their circles. Um, what are going to be some, maybe some ways that they can, our listeners can stay in touch with you on social media or just get in contact with you in general? Instagram's probably going to be the quickest way to find me. I don't have a huge following there. I'm just now trying to get cool. Um, but I will say <laughs> Facebook limits, Facebook limits your, your friend capacity. And every single week I go through and start deleting some to make more space, but sometimes I don't and messages get lost. So, uh, on Instagram, it's great because anybody can message you. So I would say, find me on Instagram first at the real Heather cook with dots between all the words. And you can also look me up on Facebook, just Heather cook. I don't know, honestly, how to properly tell people other than like, I hope you recognize my face in the picture on Facebook, but you can follow me if nothing else on Facebook. But I'll um, tell you, Facebook, if you want some good entertainment and you want to really get a dose of like inside of my life, um, Facebook's a good place to do it because I write blog style um, and, and there's, yay, you put it up here. Um, but anyway, there, there's lots of reading and lots of pictures of dogs on my Facebook page too. That's right. That's worth a follow. Um, at this time, your picture on Facebook is with Brad with a blue background and it is Heather L. Cook 17 is your actual Facebook. Awesome. Facebook.com yeah. slash Heather L. Cook 17. Cool. So look what I learned. How about yeah. me? <laughs> um, now you Heather, can't change it there... for a while so people can find you. <laughs> I know. Or I'll just have to constantly have some kind of blue background, apparently. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Heather, um, I'm sorry to put you on the spot here about this, but as maybe kind of a um, your your final words as uh, for our podcast here before we wrap here, um, do you have a quote or something that you would like to share with our listeners? I don't know who said it, and it's not an original quote, but um, somebody said once upon a time that there will only be one of you for all time and fearlessly be yourself, and I love that. There is something special and unique about you that when you're gone is going to go away with you. So leave your mark and don't be scared to do it. Love that. Oh, yes. I love good quotes. <laughs> um, um, Heather, thank you so much for being on with us tonight. This was incredible. You are an incredible human being. Um, and I think Emily and I both needed this positivity in our life. So thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for bringing me on here. This has been the most fun podcast I've ever been on. So I appreciate you guys giving me the chance to be here with you. And I love, love, love what you guys are doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Trey, you have a really great voice. And Heather, I'm proud of you. Thank you. Um, thank you, everybody. Have a positive week. Ha, 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 ha.
Sorry. <laughs> and don't forget to be your own friend and be kind to yourself. Bye, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Bye. This episode is sponsored by Henderson's Hearth. You know, it's clear that Amy over at Henderson's Hearth puts so much heart into the ingredients in her creations. They're healthy, easy to prepare, things like soups, bread mixes, jams, and just like Sam Hewn, steeped in Celtic tradition. The ingredients are either grown by her or acquired locally and prepared in small batches. One of the products that caught my eye early on was the orange ginger marmalade. It reminded me so much of growing up with the Paddington Bear series that I knew I had to order it. If you've ever wanted to know the secret to talking bears, their orange marmalade is exactly what I imagine is worth keeping an emergency sandwich under your hat for. And while I don't have a hat that could hold a marmalade sandwich, I can put some on a delicious slice of their Irish brown bread. And what do you know? With their bread mix, I made it myself. And that pairing is just so hearthy. Oh, that was punny. <laughs> no, that was good for the soul. Just like their soup mixes. Oh, uh, no, you did it again. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, though, I can totally vouch for this because the soups are so delicious. I tried the beef and barley, which was hearty, and the Henderson soup mix, which is one I've never even heard of before. Um, it was so good. It's their take on a Scottish recipe with lentils, brown rice, split peas, and barley. And all of their things are perfect for any gathering, including the one you have alone with your cat in a good book by the fire. Oh, and did I mention the mulled cider spices? Oh, so good. oh my mm. gosh. Pretty much all the items at Henderson's Hearth are vegetarian friendly, and so many are vegan friendly too. So thank you, Henderson's Hearth.